Hello, and welcome to Dispel Magic, the podcast where we overthink how the magic of D&D might shape your campaign setting in surprising and unexpected ways. I'm Benjamin, game designer and writer. And my name's Dane. I'm a dungeon master, podcaster, and voice actor. Benjamin, I'm excited for today's episode. It's actually really ironic that for the first time we're sitting down and looking at each other That's for right. this episode, um, because we're talking about scrying, which it, it, we were doing it before. We were essentially scrying, yeah, on each other, yeah. And now, now we don't have to. Now we don't have to. Yeah, this is nice. Scrying is one of those spells that's a little higher that I feel like people new to the game don't necessarily know about. Right. And then when it's brought to their attention, they're like, what? You can do... It's kind of a mind blow. It's a spell to aspire to get. Yeah. And then, you know, you got your scrying stones and you got you got to go to a, a wizard to ask them to help you out with it until until you get to the high level. Yeah. Or level five, I guess. Well, no, ninth level ninth is when level. you get fifth level spells, okay. which is very intuitive. Of course. That's when you get the fifth yeah. level spells. Well, let me just uh, let me just run it down, shall I? Scrying is a fifth level divination spell available to bards, clerics, druids, warlocks, and wizards. It takes ten minutes to cast, has a range of self, which is a touch misleading. There is a duration of concentration up to 10 minutes. The spell text says, you see and hear a particular creature you choose that is on the same plane of existence as you. The target must make a wisdom saving throw, which is modified by how well you know the target and the sort of physical connection you have to it. If a target knows you're casting the spell, it can fail the saving throw voluntarily if it wants to be observed. There's a number of modifiers here that either make it easier or harder, to scry on a person. We can get into the details of that a little bit later, perhaps. On a successful save, the target isn't affected and you can't use the spell against it again for another 24 hours. On a failed save, the spell creates an invisible sensor within 10 feet of the target. You can see and hear through the sensor as if you were there. The sensor moves with the target, remaining within 10 feet of it for the duration. A creature that can see invisible objects sees the sensor as a luminous orb about the size of your fist. Instead of targeting a creature, you can choose a location you've seen before as the target of the spell. When you do, the sensor appears at that location and doesn't move. Moving locations moves with the location. Like a like a floating island. That'd be cool. Did you ever play with a floating island before? I have. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I love floating islands actually just yeah. as a trope. It's a good um, one. Yeah. I it's been a long time since I've run any kind of floating island adventure thing, but I, I have a lot more I could say about that, but I let's keep point. it described. Yeah. So when you when you mentioned that there are a bunch of modifiers, these are essentially uh, your familiarity with the target makes it easier if you're super familiar with them. If you don't really know them, then it's then you have a penalty. And then there's a second set of modifiers where basically the target takes an increasingly large penalty the more kind of personal object that you have related to them. So like having their hair or a piece of their nail makes it very hard for them to resist the spell. Whereas if you just have a picture of them. I've only used this spell in game a couple times and it hasn't been very successful. The The DM at the time was very strict about these, these modifiers and made DCs pretty high. Mm. Um, but I think they were... 
trying to actively prevent us from knowing more about this particular person because I think maybe they forgot about the scrying spell themselves. Um, It was, you know, it felt a little disappointing to me. I don't think I've seen the spell in use. I I may have in, in one campaign, but I don't remember specifically. I think partly because by the time you get up to fifth level spells, you know, like a lot of the published campaigns start winding down mm-hmm. not too long after this. So, yeah, even though it's a really interesting spell and has a lot of fun implications and uses, I don't know if I've seen it. I've only ever seen it in use in Critical Role. They use it okay. in Critical Role in a couple of campaigns. So that's how I know about it. The expected uses of this are pretty straightforward. Uh, adventuring parties are going to use this to spy on people they think are up to no good or maybe to check in on important NPC allies. Yeah, we're, we're worried about somebody maybe got kidnapped or their, you know, their mom back at home. Like, how's my, right. mom, how's my mom doing? Yeah, and you want to just surreptitiously spy on your own mother. Just figure, just to check on her. Just like, it's like a text message. Like, Well, it's not doing? like a text message no. because your person does not know you're observing them. They could be doing anything that you don't want to see <laughs> true. or that they don't want you to see. Um, no, I guess so sending is a text, text message. Yeah, yeah, I would recommend not scrying on your own mother. Okay. Next time I have the yeah. the inkling, I'll, right. I'll just, nope, Benjamin said don't. I yeah, it's it a off. be careful what you wish for type of <laughs> situation. Right here at the beginning, uh, you've got a pretty interesting use of the spell. Not necessarily how it would change a world, but you kind of thought around how this spell is worded. When I was looking at the spell, I had this weird idea that it facilitates a strange thing where you can see a person who might also be within range of a spell, but if you weren't casting scrying, you wouldn't be able to see them. Mm -hmm. So you and I looked into this earlier, and Magic Missile is a spell with a 120-foot range. It's good range. And you have to be able to see the creature to target it with the spell, and it just automatically hits. In this theoretical situation, I'm a wizard trapped in a dungeon, and the dungeon happens to be below the king's throne room, let's say 110 feet mm-hmm. below the king's throne room, and I scry on the king, and then I cast magic missile on them because the king is within 120 feet, and now because I'm scrying on them, I can see them. Now, common sense to me says this wouldn't work, right? That the, the magic missile would have to snake around walls, it would have or go through walls, which doesn't make... Uh, apparent sense, but uh, you did bring up that this is what the spell says, right? Right. This is what the spell says, and we don't really know the physics part of how magic missile works. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like that would be an obnoxious thing to spell out. It's like magic exists and works weird. Yeah. So it could be that magic missiles don't become solid until they reach their target, and then they become solid, and that's what hurts. Or it could be, yeah, that these things like squeeze through tiny holes. Like they're just like well, zooming through. It's force damage. So it's really just like pushing in to you. Well, force damage is strange in that it sounds like it represents a kind of pushing, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's just that's what what pure magic is, mm, is force damage. Got it. It's I would love them to have used a different word for it because I think it gives the it gives off the wrong vibe. But Star Wars vibes. 
the force. I don't know if anyone's ever confused no? it for that. Nobody? Maybe one person. Like Jar Jar Binks, maybe? When he played D&D? He is a fictional character, Dane. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Give it a thing. <laughs> Just give it one second. Anyway, I thought that was pretty weird. I it is would, pretty weird. I'm sure there are a lot of other weird use cases that you can think of. It is somewhat limited by the fact that you're concentrating on scrying, and so you're not going to be casting any spell that requires concentration. Although even as I say that, I think mm. I'm seeing the person when I cast the spell, mm-hmm. and then I lose concentration on scrying, but the spell probably doesn't say I have to continue seeing the creature the entire time I'm concentrating oh on the new spell. Jesus. So I guess you could target... Even with concentration spells, you're just going to lose your scrying. So yeah, so this is going to open up a lot of very strange situations where you can target people with spells. Is this another situation where scrying becomes illegal? Because it seems pretty overpowered at this point. I don't think so. I think it does mean that it's got some applications for assassins, magical assassins. By the time you get to fifth level spells, there's relatively few people compared to the general public that are even casting those, those kinds of spells. So, And there's lots of maybe more legitimate versions of scrying. Also, it would be pretty hard to prove whether or not mm-hmm. somebody was scrying. Got to have the true sight on. Right. Got to see the fist-sized yeah. yeah. bulb. I did notice that it said your fist. Yeah, just yours. So like if, if you a... were like a troll or something and you cast this spell, it's like a really giant orb. If Whereas a... if you're a halfling, it's like quite tiny. So you're... <laughs> So this is interesting because if you're looking for a spy, you're looking for fairy folk, you're looking for people with really tiny fists so that even if there are (laughs) ways to detect this, it's nigh on imperceptible because their fists are real tiny. Yeah. Like you teach a child to scry an infant. (laughs) Like you teach a child to scry. Exactly. (laughs) So we're, we're looking at orphanages that are scry right. farms. Yeah, it's... Um, That's disgusting. <laughs> Black Widow type of it's thing. It's Black Widow, where it's just entire organizations dedicated to covert scrying because yeah. they're scry... And then they age out and they're just they're kicked out on the street. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. I used to scry for the king. Not anymore. My hands got too big. Yeah. <laughs> Curse that spell. Went through a growth spurt and my hands got it the worst. (laughs) Hey everybody, Dane here. Just wanting to say thank you for all the support you've given us through your downloads, your messages, tweets, and of course sharing the show with others. Word of mouth is the best way for us to grow, along with you rating and reviewing Dispel Magic on whatever podcasting app you use. Benjamin and I would also like to invite you to pledge to our Patreon. You can vote there on future shows, receive weekly show notes, access monthly secret shows, and gain access to our patron-only Discord channel. Thanks again for listening, and as always, happy spelling. The kind of natural thing, I think, to imagine in terms of world-building the effect that this has is that international espionage gets super simple just got to know about it yeah i mean like oh i know who the king is of that kingdom so i can scry them Mm -hmm. and especially if you've ever been to that king's throne room before because then you don't even have to target the king it's just going to auto succeed when you cast it on the location of his throne room 
What this also means, if you're doing diplomacy, you can't have a regular room mm. where they do their diplomacy. Criminal organizations can't have a regular place where they meet people because as soon as that place has been seen once by anyone, it's that if that person knows how to scry, they can see yeah. that room forever. So you've got to have all of these really important meetings in real weird places. in real weird places like walking in the woods or I guess this would be a good use for the spell demiplane mm-hmm. where you just create this one and done like location out of the prime material plane so that it's harder to scry. Right. You can't have like a regular places where you do business, like do important business mm-hmm. deals. I like your idea of walking through a forest though. Cause if you're having this, if you're constantly moving mm-hmm. and you're having this, this meeting, yeah. somebody can't scry on the whole forest. Yeah. There you go. A lot of these meetings would have an exercise component to it as well. <laughs> it's a walking meeting. Yeah, it's a walking meeting. That handles the like scrying on location piece of it. But then you still got the like scrying on the person, you know, Mm-hmm. bit. Right. So um, I can scry on the diplomat or the vizier or the king because I know who they are. Which So so then another layer of defense against scrying. So first you can't have regular rooms or locations where... You'd have the meeting sun. forest. You'd, you'd have the meeting forest. You'd also have anonymous seconds right. whose whole job is just to not be publicly known and to do business on your behalf. Layers of subterfuge. So yeah. the, the the voice of the the face of this leader. So I just pick some random person off the street. I tell them what I want them to do and then go send them to do it. Because if you don't know who the person is, then you can't cast scrying. And that, I, I think, would sow a lot of distrust in, in leadership. Because then you don't know necessarily exactly who's leading you. The general populace aren't sp- to know who their no, leaders are? No, I think the general populace does. So I think what it, okay. the way it works is that the king, like as part of his diplomacy efforts, has diplomats that only he knows the identity of. Okay. Or that no one, well, yeah, I think he has to know the identity of them. So the king knows the identity of these people. But to everyone else, like maybe they always wear a mask. Right. Or We're talking another secret They have society. no names. Uh or or whatever, however other means they disguise themselves. But basically, these people aren't known so that nobody can scry on them because nobody knows their names, their appearance, anything about them. So they can't... They can't be known. Right. They mustn't right. for the good of the kingdom. Oh, that's, that's heavy. That's a good king voice. Thank you. Yeah. And you, of course, go into... This is the same for crime bosses. All the way down. It's... Basically, anything we ever say that's about government also applies to crime, uh, which is weird. If we're talking Not about weird, though. if we're talking about dystopian fantasy Amazon, then the leaders of these guilds might have these these seconds as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trade secrets and things yeah, like that. I think that. any major institution mm-hmm. is going to have some of these kind of anonymous seconds on really on... good bakers who are like really have really good recipes. They don't. They don't want to talk about it with any. Like they, they have seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. So the black market for possessions would be would be a pretty hot commodity. Yes. Yeah. I think my mind goes first to the idea that like criminals would be sneaking into the royal bedchambers and cutting the queen's hair mm-hmm. so that 
wizards can spy on her, which uh, I'm sorry. As soon as I said that, I realized just how weird that was. Uh, so maybe maybe contacting maybe contacting servants and a lot of bribes. Right. Yeah. There you go. Getting a sock. Well, you want toenails and and hair. Like those are the strongest that, connections. So most expensive. Yes. Right. It's a right. tiered system. Right. We're talking toenails, hairbrushes, the with the hair taking the hair oh, yeah. out of those. Oh yeah. Drains, bathtub drains. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> hey, that's where you get the good stuff. Yeah. And then second tier after that. Gloves, yeah, bad earrings. None of those good earrings. Okay, because you don't want them right, to, notice. to notice that yeah, the the, you know, the bad sure. earrings. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're you're like laundry day earrings. Yeah, and I thought about then because you know the people who'd be buying that kind of stuff would mostly be spellcasters who can cast the mm-hmm. spell, or maybe. Somebody, no, I, I think that they would send people out to get it to give to those spellcasters because I don't know if spellcasters themselves would want to sully their hands in this kind of thing. It's like a don't ask questions kind of a situation where just give me the thing, I'll scry on them. Right. I don't, I don't want to know who they are. I don't want to know right. what they do. I'll tell you what's happening, but that's it. Less culpability. What I think about when I think about the commodification of personal items to allow for scrying, the next place my mind goes is, well, how do you then commodify the information you obtain Mm. by scrying? Mm -hmm. And this leads to another world building idea that is very anachronistic, but I, I think does kind of make some sense, which is basically mages publishing tabloids. (laughs) <laughs> where they reveal what they've seen by scrying on right. various nobles. They know who's having an affair with who, right. who's like secretly poor. Unscrupulous mages just going to town on the scuttlebutt around right. town. Right. I mean, and the funny thing is that once you do this often enough that people know that you have a source for these rumors and that you're capable of finding out the information, you also don't have to keep publishing true information anymore. As long as you've got some true things in the mix. You repeat a lie often enough, it becomes true. That's, that's not quite what that <laughs> phrase means. But what I mean is that you've then got a reputation as somebody who knows the truth about right. these things and is sharing the truth about those things. And so then you can start spreading kind of venomous rumors about people that you want to take down, even if it's not true, people because be- it could potentially be true. People believe the words you say right. to the point where even whatever you say, they're going to start believing. Yeah. And then and then you can start getting kickbacks for, I want this rumor to be spread. Right. That leads to the next point then, which is that Man. just like in the real world where you have kind of media giants then like just swallowing up like a bunch of newspapers Mm -hmm. to like kind of control the way a story goes you'd have nobles purchasing tabloids that are run by wizards to like direct to like prevent themselves from being real randolph hearst kind of situation (laughs) to prevent themselves from being in the tabloids and to ensure that their kind of social rivals are kind of constantly being humiliated uh this just in the uh, teleportation circles been found out of this person's estate and it's it's being ransacked ha cha 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 yeah i don't i i guess i don't know for sure if that's how teleportation circles work but i guess i would think if you saw one no just the story of it, to shame your rival right. nobles just to be like look at this dillweed over here they got <laughs> they got infiltrated ha 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 
But I think again, might, but I think you might also be able to cry on somebody who's using a teleportation circle. Mm. I think that You'd viewing find viewing yeah. it would give you the whatever the sigils, information. the sigils that you needed. Yeah, yeah. Especially combined with some of the stuff we talked with around teleportation circles and the urban micro dungeons mm-hmm. and the power plays between nobles. I think this creates a really lovely, toxic, like aristocratic backbiting stew <laughs> yeah. that I would just love to see in play. Just awful. Yeah. Just yeah. really rotten. <laughs> Fun to play in. Fun to play in. Fun to play in. But probably a waking nightmare to live in. <laughs> sort of like real life. Yeah, kind of like uh, the here and now. Real great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. 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 You're lucky. I have not read The Great Gatsby mm-hmm. since fifth grade or whenever you're supposed to read it, so I, I can neither confirm nor deny the... Gilded age, yeah. baby. <laughs> a lot of confidence right. now that you know I haven't yeah, that's right. read it in a long time. Uh, the Dies of the Doctor. It's the um, green light, okay. Benjamin. Um, I did have this idea. I think it's a little impractical, but I did have this idea that a bunch of wizards, if as like a really grotesque form of entertainment could shape a random person's life. They just go find a commoner and they're like, we're going to cast a sky's self and pretend to be like his partner or his kids or whatever else. And then the entertainment piece comes in by other wizards getting to scry in on this guy. A scheduled scry. Yeah. (laughs) Scheduled scrying of like, Here's when, like, important life events are supposed to be happening for this guy. Everybody else is an actor, but this one guy is really... I'm thinking that if this guy ever did get true sight, it's just a complete wall of these orbs just all staring at him. Oh, that's creepy. That's that's awful. If I ever got to run, actually, a one-on... I've never run a one-on-one campaign... Mm. But I think that would be a really great pitch for a yeah, one-on-one campaign. A plot hook. Where it's uh, just like story arc. you have a pretty normal life, and then all of a sudden you one day you find these glasses and you put them on and all, all of a sudden there's like luminous you. orbs everywhere. <laughs> the orbs! The orbs! Th- this makes me think of how few insidious social experiments there are in fantasy yeah. settings. Right. Um, I've brought up before... When, when we were reading through this, that, you know, in Fallout, in science fiction, mm-hmm. you have the vault experiments. This is a, an example of how mages who are more interested in social engineering rather than how many animals can be mutated. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I was really, I was watching carefully to see how that developed, but all right. Okay, wizard who wants to do social stuff and not mutate animals. Go ahead. That's about it. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think what's interesting about this spell in the fantasy context is that in our real life, like, we know everything is spying on us. Like, I know that my data from my phone is getting sold. I know that if I go to your house and use a particular kind of diaper that uh, I might get advertised that diaper. you saying I use diapers? <laughs> I'm saying I don't know if you use diapers. Okay. I mean, I don't have any diapers out right now. I want to be very clear. That there are no diapers out in my room where we're recording right now that you can that see. That I can see. That you can see. That I can see. But in a fantasy setting, they're not used to that. And so I feel like that makes it even more invasive than that high-level mages can do this. 
the average person won't have any sense that this could happen. This, this is a possibility. The idea of privacy goes without saying in a fantasy setting. Right. right. In our setting, real world setting, right. privacy doesn't exist. Right. Uh, that's heavy. Yeah. So. And if you have any other uh, applications for the spell scrying or you have any social experiments you think would be pretty insidious in a fantasy setting you can tweet us at dispel magic pod on twitter benjamin where can people find you you can find me on twitter at sterling vermin or on the internet at sterlingvermin.com and you can find me on twitter at dane in danger thanks so much for joining us we'll see you again after your next long rest We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dispel Magic. If this has inspired any ideas for your game, or you have another take on today's topic, please let us know on Twitter, at DispelMagicPod. You can find Benjamin, at Sterling Vermin, and Dane, at Dane in Danger. Thank you to Slim Mittens for our cover art, produced by Benjamin Huffman, produced and edited by Dane Fox McGraw. <laughs>